Chapter Seventeen of the Life Everlasting by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lisa Statler. The Magic Book. It is not possible here to transcribe more than a few extracts from the book on which my attention now became completely riveted. The passages selected are chosen simply because they may by chance be useful to those few, those very few, who desire to make of their lives something more than a mere buy-and-sell business, and also because they can hardly be called difficult to understand. When Paracelsus wrote The Secret of Long Life, he did so in a fashion sufficiently abstruse and complex to scare away all but the most diligent and persevering of students this no doubt being his intention but the instructions given in the volume placed as i imagined for my perusal were simple and in accordance with many of the facts discovered by modern science and as i read on and on i began to see light through the darkness and to gain a perception of the way in which i might become an adept in what the world deems miracle but which after all is nothing but the scientific application of common sense to begin with, I will quote the following, headed, Life and Its Adjustment. Life is the divine impetus of love. The force behind the universe is love, and from that love is bred desire and creation. Even as the human lover passionately craves possession of his beloved, so that from their mutual tenderness the children of love are born, the divine spirit immortally creative and desirous of perfect beauty, possesses space with eternal energy, producing millions of solar systems, each one of which has a different organization and a separate individuality. Man, the creature of our small planet the earth, is but a single result of the resistless output of divine fecundity. Nevertheless, man is the image of God in that he is endowed with reason, will, and intelligence, beyond that of the purely animal creation, and that he is given an immortal soul formed for love and for the eternal things which love creates. He can himself be divine in the desire and perpetuation of life. Considered in a strictly material sense, he is simply an embodied force composed of atoms held together in a certain organized form. But within this organized form, is contained a spiritual being capable of guiding and controlling its earthly vehicle and adjusting it to surroundings and circumstances. In his dual nature, man has the power of holding his life cells under his own command. He can renew them or destroy them at pleasure. He generally elects to destroy them through selfishness and obstinacy, the two chief disintegrating elements of his mortal composition. Hence, the result which he calls death, but which is merely the necessary transposition of his existence, which he has himself brought about, into a more useful phase. If he were to learn once for all that he can prolong his life on this earth in youth and health for an indefinite period, in which days and years are not counted, but only psychic episodes or seasons, he could pass from one joy to another, from one triumph to another, as easy as breathing the air. It is judged good for a man's body that he should stand upright, and that he should move his limbs with grace and ease, performing physical exercises for the improvement and strengthening of his muscles, 
and he is not considered a fool for any feats of physical valour or ability which he may accomplish why then should he not train his soul to stand as upright as his body so that it may take full possession of all the powers which natural and spiritual energy can provide reader and student you for whom these words are written learn and remember that the secret strength and renewal of life is adjustment the adjustment of the atoms whereof the body is composed to the commands of the soul be the god of your own universe control your own solar system that it may warm and revivify you with an ever-recurring spring make love the summer of your life and let it create within you the passion of noble desire the fervor of joy the fire of idealism and faith know yourself as part of the divine spirit of all things and be divine in your own creative existence the whole universe is open to the searchings of your soul if love be the torch to light your way having read thus far i paused the little room in which i sat appeared darker or was it my fancy i listened for the voices which had so confused and worried me but there was no sound i turned the pages of the book before me and found the following the action of thought thought is an actual motive force more powerful than any other motive force in the world it is not the mere pulsation in a particular set of brain cells destined to pass away into nothingness when the pulsation has ceased thought is the voice of the soul just as the human voice is transmitted through distance on the telephone wires so is the soul's voice carried through the radiant fibers connected with the nerves to the brain the brain receives it but cannot keep it for it again is transmitted by its own electric power to other brains and you can no more keep a thought to yourself than you can hold a monopoly in the sunshine everywhere in all the worlds throughout the whole cosmos souls are speaking through the material medium of the brain souls that may not inhabit this world at all but that may be as far away from us as the last star visible to the strongest telescope the harmonies that suggest themselves to the musician here today may have fallen from sirius or jupiter striking on his earthly brain with a spiritual sweetness from worlds unknown the poet writes what he scarcely realizes obeying the inspiration of his dreams and we are all at our best but mediums for conveying thought first receiving it from other spheres to ourselves and then transmitting it from ourselves to others shakespeare the chief poet and prophet of the world has written there is nothing good or bad but thinking makes it so thus giving out a profound truth one of the most profound truths of the psychic creed for what we think we are and our thoughts resolve themselves into our actions in the renewal of life and the preservation of youth thought is the chief factor if we think we are old we age rapidly if on the contrary we think we are young we preserve our vitality indefinitely the action of thought influences the living particles of which our bodies are composed so that we positively age them or rejuvenate them by the attitude we assume the thinking attitude of the human soul should be one of gratitude love and joy there is no room in spiritual nature for fear depression sickness or death god intends his creation to be happy and by bringing the soul and body both into tune with happiness we obey his laws and fulfil his desire 
therefore to live long encourage thoughts of happiness avoid all persons who talk of disease misery and decay for these things are the crimes of man and are offences against god's primal design of beauty drink in deep draughts of sunshine and fresh air inhale the perfume of flowers and trees keep far away from cities and from crowds seek no wealth that is not earned by hand or brain and above all things remember that the children of light may walk in the light without fear of darkness something in this latter sentence made me stop and look again around me and again i felt sure that the room was growing darker and not only darker but smaller the purple silk hangings which draped the walls were almost within my touch and i knew they had not been so close to me when i first sat down to read a nervous tremor ran through me but i resolved i would not be the dupe of my own fancy and i set myself once more resolutely to the study of the volume before me the next paragraph which attracted me was headed on the command of life's forces and began thus to live long you must have perfect control of the forces that engender life the atoms of which your body is composed are in perpetual movement your spiritual self must guide them in the way they should go otherwise they resemble an army without organization or equipment easily put to rout by a first assault if you have them under your spiritual orders you are practically immune from all disease disease can never enter your system save through some unguarded corner you may meet with accident through the fault of others or through your own willfulness if through your own willfulness you have only yourself to blame if through the fault of others you may know that it was a destined and preordained removal of yourself from a sphere for which you are judged to be unfitted barring such accident your life need know no end even on this earth your spirit called the soul is a creature of light and it can supply revivifying rays to every atom and cell in your body without stint or cessation it is an exhaustless supply of radium from which the forces of your life may draw perpetual sustenance man uses every exterior means of self-preservation but forgets the interior power he possesses which was bestowed upon him that he might replenish the earth and subdue it to replenish the earth is to give out love ungrudgingly to all nature to subdue the earth is first to master the atoms of which the human organization is composed and hold them completely under control so that by means of this mastery all other atomic movements and forces upon this planet and its encircling atmosphere may be equally controlled much is talked of the light rays which pierce solid matter as though it were nothing but clear air yet this discovery is but the beginning of wonders there are rays which divine metals even as the hazel wand divines the presence of water and the treasures of the earth the gold the silver the jewels and precious things that are hidden beneath its surface and in the depths of the sea can be seen in their darkest recesses by the penetrating flash of a ray as yet unknown to any but adepts in the psychic creed no true adept is ever poor poverty cannot exist where perfect control of the life forces is maintained gladness peace and plenty must naturally attend the soul that is in tune with nature and life is always perpetuated from the joy of life stand therefore o patient student erect and firm 
let the radiating force of the soul possess every nerve and blood vessel of the body and learn to command all things pertaining to good with that strength which compels obedience not idly did the supreme master speak when he told his disciples that if their faith were but as a grain of mustard seed they could command a mountain to be cast into the sea and it would obey remember that the spirit within your bodily house of clay is divine and of god and that with god all things are possible i raised my head from its bent position over the book and drew a long breath something oppressed me with a sense of suffocation and looking up i saw that i was being steadily closed in as by a contracting cage the little room draped with its soft purple hangings was now too small for me to move about i was pinned to my chair and the ceiling was apparently descending upon me with a shock of horrified memory i recalled the old torture of the living tomb practised by the spanish inquisition when the wretched victim was compelled to watch the walls of his prison slowly narrowing round him inch by inch till he was crushed to death how could i be sure that no such cruelties were used among the mysterious members of a mysterious brotherhood whose avowed object of study was the searching out of the secret of life i made an effort to rise and found i could stand upright and there straight opposite to me was the entrance to my own room from which i had wandered into this small inner chamber it seemed easy enough to get there and yet i found myself hindered by an invisible barrier i stood with my heart beating nervously wondering what was my threatening danger almost involuntarily my eyes still perused the printed page of the book before me and i read the following sentences in a kind of waking dream to the soul that will not study the needs of its immortal nature life itself becomes a narrow cell all god's creation waits upon it to supply what it shall demand yet it starves in the midst of plenty fear suspicion distrust anger envy and callousness paralyze its being and destroy its action love courage patience sweetness generosity and sympathy are actual life forces to it and to the body it inhabits all the influences of the social world work against it all the influences of the natural world work with it there is nothing of pure nature that will not obey its behest and this should be enough for its happy existence sorrow and despair result from the misguidance of the will there is no other cause in earth or heaven for any pain or trouble misguidance of the will i spoke the words aloud then went on reading what is heaven a state of perfect happiness what is happiness the immortal union of two souls in one creatures of god's eternal light partaking each other's thoughts bestowing upon each other the renewal of joy and creating loveliness in form and action by their mutual sympathy and tenderness age cannot touch them death has no meaning for them life is their air and space and movement life palpitates through them and warms them with color and glory as the sunshine warms and reddens the petals of the rose they grow beyond mortality and are immune from all disaster they are a world in themselves involuntarily creating other worlds as they pass from one phase to another of production and fruition for there is no good work accomplished without love no great triumph achieved without love no fame no victory gained without love the lovers of god are the beloved of god their passion is divine knowing no weariness 
no satiety, no end, for God is the supreme lover, and there is nothing higher than love. Here, on a sudden impulse, I took up the book, closed it, and held it clasped in my two hands. As I did this, a great darkness overwhelmed me, a sound like thunder crashed on my ears, and I felt the whole room reeling into chaos. The floor sank, and I sank with it, down to a great depth, so swiftly, that I had no time to think what had happened till the sensation of falling stopped abruptly, and I found myself in a narrow green lane, completely shadowed by the wide boughs of overarching trees. Hardly could I realize my surroundings when I saw Raphael, Raphael Santoris himself, walking towards me, but not alone. The eager impulse to run to him was checked. I stood quiet and cold to the heart. A woman was with him, a woman young and very beautiful. His arm was round her, and his eyes looked with unwearied tenderness at her face. I heard his voice caressing and infinitely gentle. Beloved, he said, I call you by this name as I have always called you through many cycles of time. Is it not strange that even the eager spirit, craving for its preordained mate, is subject to error? I thought I had found her whom I should love a little while, before I met you. But this was a momentary blindness. You are the one I have sought for many centuries. You are the one and only beloved. Promise never to leave me again. She answered, and I heard her murmur soft as a sigh. I promise. Still walking together like lovers, they came on. I knew they must pass me, and I stood in their way that Rafael Santoris at least might see me might know that I had adventured into the house of Aselzion for his sake, and that so far I had not failed. If he were false, then surely the failure would be his. With a sickening heart I watched him approach. His blue eyes rested on me carelessly with a cold smile. His fair companion glanced at me as at a stranger, and they moved on and passed out of sight. I could not have spoken had I tried. I was stricken dumb and feeble. This was the end, then? I had made my journey to no purpose? He had already found another subject for his influence? Stunned and bewildered with the confusion of thought in my brain, I tried to walk a few paces, and found the ground soft as velvet, while a cool breeze, blowing through the trees, refreshed my aching forehead and eyes. I still held the book The Secret of Life, and in a dull, aimless way thought how useless it was. What does life matter if love be untrue? The sun was shining somewhere above me, for I saw glinting reflections of it through the close boughs, and there were birds singing, but both beauty of sight and beauty of sound were lost to me. I had no real consciousness left, save that the lover who professed to love me with an eternal love loved me no more. So the world was desolate and heaven itself a blank. Death, and death alone seemed dear and desirable. I walked slowly and with difficulty. My limbs were languid and I had lost all courage. If I could have found my way to Aselzion, I would have told him, this is enough. No more do I need the secret of youth or life, since love has left me. Presently, I began to think more coherently. A little while back, I had heard voices behind a wall saying that Raphael Santoris was dead, drowned in his own yacht, off Armadale in Skye. If that was true, how came he here? I questioned myself in vain till presently I gathered up sufficient force to remember that love, real love, knows no change. Did I believe in my lover's love, or did I doubt it? That was a point for my own consideration. But, 
Had I not the testimony of my own eyes? Was I not myself the witness of his altered mind? Here, seeing a rustic seat under one of the shadiest trees, I sat down, and my mind gradually steadied itself. Why, I inwardly asked, had I been so suddenly and forcibly brought into this place for no apparent reason, save to look upon Raphael Santoris in the company of another woman whom it seemed that he now preferred to me? Ought that to make any difference in my love for him? In love, if love be love, if love be ours, faith and unfaith can ne'er be equal powers. Unfaith in aught is want of faith in all. If the happiness of the one I loved was obtained through other means than mine, ought I to grudge it? And yet, my heart was full of a sick heaviness. It seemed to me that I had lately been the possessor of an inestimable joy which had been ruthlessly snatched from me. Still meditating in solitary sadness, I sat in the soft gloom, wondering at the strange chance that had brought me into such a place, and curiously enough, never thinking that the whole adventure might be the result of a preordained design. Presently, hearing slow footsteps approaching, I looked up and saw an aged man walking towards me, accompanied by a woman of gentle and matronly appearance, who supported him on her arm. The looks of both of these personages were kindly, and inspired confidence at a glance, and I watched them coming with a kind of hope that perhaps they might explain my present dilemma. I was particularly attracted by the venerable and benevolent aspect of the man, and as he drew near, seeing that he evidently intended to speak to me, I rose from my seat and made a step or two forward to meet him. He inclined his head courteously, and smiled upon me with a grave and compassionate air. "'I am very glad,' he said in a friendly tone, "'that we have not come too late. We feared, did we not?' Here he looked to his companion for confirmation of his words, "'that you might have been hopelessly ensnared and victimized before we could come to the rescue.' "'Alas, yes,' said the woman, in accents of deep pity, "'and that would have been terrible indeed.' I stared at them both, utterly bewildered. They spoke of rescue? Rescue from what? Hopelessly ensnared and victimized? What did they mean? Since I had seen Raphael Santoris with another woman he called beloved, I had felt almost incapable of speech, but now I found my voice suddenly. I do not understand you, I said as clearly and firmly as I could. I am here by my own desire, and I am not being ensnared or victimized. Why should I need rescue? The old man shook his head compassionately. Poor child, he said, are you not a prisoner in the house of Aselzion? With my own consent, I answered. He lifted his hands in a kind of appealing astonishment, and the woman smiled sadly. Not so, she told me. You are under a very serious delusion. You are here by the wicked will of Raphael Santoris, a man who would sacrifice any life remorselessly in the support of his own mad theories. You are under his influence, you poor creature, so easily trapped, too. You think you are following your own way, and carrying out your own wishes, but you are really the slave of Santorus, and have been so ever since you met him. You are a mere instrument on which he can play any tune. And she turned to the old man beside her with an appealing gesture. Is it not so? He bent his head in the affirmative. For a moment my brain was in a whirl. Could it be possible that what they said was true? Their looks were sincere, 
they could have no object but kindness in warning me of intended mischief i tried to conceal the torturing anxiety that possessed me and asked quietly if you have good reason to think all this what would you advise me to do if i am in danger how shall i escape from it the woman looked curiously at me and her eyes glittered with sudden interest her venerable companion replied to my question escape is quite easy here and now you have only to follow us and we will take you out of this wood and escort you to a place of safety then you can return to your own home and forget forget what i interrupted him all this foolishness he answered with a gentle seriousness this idea of eternal life and love which the artful conjurer raphael santoris has instilled into your too sensitive and credulous imagination these fantastic beliefs in the immortality and individuality of the soul and you will accept old age and death with the sane resignation of ordinary mortals. Such love as he professes to believe in does not exist. Such life can never be, and the secret of his youth. Ah! I exclaimed eagerly. Tell me of that, and of Aselzion's splendid prime, when he should be old and feeble. Tell me of that also. For the first time during this interview, my two companions looked confused. I saw this, and I gained confidence from their evident embarrassment. Why, I pursued, should you come to me with warnings against those whom God or destiny has brought into my life? You may perhaps say that you yourselves have been sent by God, but does deity contradict itself? I am not conscious of having suffered any evil through Raphael Santoris or through Aselzion. I am pained and perplexed and tortured by what I hear and see, but my hearing and sight are capable of being deceived. Why should I think of evil things which are not proved? The woman surveyed me with sudden scorn. "'So you will stay here, the dupe of your own sentiments and dreams?' she said contemptuously. "'You, a woman, will remain among a community of men who are known impostors, and sacrifice your name and reputation to a mere chimera?' Her look and manner had completely changed, and I was at once on my guard. "'My name and reputation are my own to protect,' I answered coldly. Whatever I do, I shall be ready to answer for to anyone having the right to ask. The old man now advanced and laid his hand on my arm. His eyes sparkled angrily. You must be saved from yourself, he said sharply. You must come with us whether you will or no. We have seen too many victims of Aselzion's art already. We are resolved to save you from the peril which threatens you. And he made an effort to draw me closer to him. But my spirit was up and I held back with all my force. "'No, I will not go with you,' I exclaimed hotly. "'God alone shall remove me from harm, if any harm is really meant towards me. "'I do not believe one word you have said against Raphael Santoris or against Aselzion. "'I love the one, and I trust the other. "'Let me go my own way in peace.' "'Hardly had I spoken these words, when both the old man and woman threw themselves upon me, "'and seizing me by force, endeavoured to drag me away with them. "'I resisted with all my strength still holding tightly the book of the secret of life in one hand. But their united efforts were beginning to overpower me, and feeling myself growing weaker and weaker, I cried aloud in desperation, Raphael! Raphael! In an instant I stood free. My captors loosed their hold of me, and I rushed away, not knowing whither, only running, 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 afraid of pursuit till I suddenly found myself alone on the borders of a dark stretch of water, spreading away in cold blackness to an unseen horizon. 
End of chapter 17